Welcome to the Jack and John Podcast. I'm Jack. And I'm John. And we're on a mission. To help you focus on Christ. Well, Jack, here we are. We're in Mark chapter 14. Um, let's just jump right into this thing. So we're going to start with verse 1. It was now two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him, but not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. What do you think about that? Yeah. Neil, well, have to. I mean, we can just keep reading. <laughs> well, what, what, what I think, and this is kind of interesting, or what I'd like to draw attention to uh, as you read this, and maybe even the discussion can move this way, but uh, for some reason, it looks to me like this next story you're getting ready to read and that you referred to in our last podcast is uh, kind of out of order in, as far as time-wise mm -hmm. is concerned. But I think what is going on is Jesus or Mark uh, or Peter, whoever is, you know, behind this exact writing from the Holy Spirit uh, is kind of uh, showing contrasting hatred and love. Absolutely. And there's two unbelievable stories here, two of the most Unbelievable! I think one of the most uh, extravagant stories on love in Mary of Bethany anointing Jesus and uh, probably one of the greatest stories on hate, if you want to call it a great story, in uh, Judas betraying the Son of Man. And uh, you contrast Mary with um, the hatred of the scribes and the priests who have upped their game in trying to seek a way to kill Jesus mm -hmm. and the way they did it. And as you will read it, uh, the trial right. and uh, how bogus everything was. And so the, look at the contrast of hatred and love. And the only comment I'll make on hatred is uh, hatred will do something eventually. It just can't wait. Mm -hmm. And uh, these scribes and Pharisees, and, and they just can't wait to get this opportunity to kill him. And when they get it, they, they immediately rush you know, into, into right. action. Yeah, they're going way past the, the point of thinking about it. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, at, this, at this point, they're looking for the opportunity. Meanwhile... Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. Do you ever buy no, essence of nard? No, I have no idea yeah. what nard yeah. must smell good. Nard do I. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> she broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. 
It's kind of bold. I mean, Jesus That's is very bold. Jesus is sitting here being right. quiet and taking it, and these guys are scolding her. Um, Read what Judas says. Right. <laughs> but Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want. Um, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, whether the good news is preached, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Um, there are so many things to unpack right there. But one of them that's so common even today is people are always looking for a way to point to how somebody else could use their money to help the poor. Yeah, you know? that's what I was wondering. Do you think they would have used that kind of money and given it? Yeah, to that's why he's saying you can help the poor anytime you want. By and, the way, and, if you read some of the yeah. other Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, Judas speaks up quite handily. Right. And uh, says, you know, mentions, you know, about the money. And some most people believe that... Um, Judas was storing up his own money, trying to buy a parcel of land so that he can build it when the kingdom comes. You know, John so said he was a thief yeah, from the beginning. Yeah, he was stealing from the, from the, you know, from the yeah. money that they were trying to live on. So uh, he wasn't interested in, in the poor. And, and neither probably were these people that were... No, they're just thinking problem. about other ways that that money could have been spent. So... It's funny how people do spend their money. You know, I, I, I was reading a thing years ago. Um, Hedden is a, a, was a famous American lure company, okay? And they made one of the first ever fishing lures that was produced in the United States. And there was a first edition still in the box lure. And this rich guy bought it at auction for just over $100,000, a fishing lure. And I hope that... Fish didn't get it. Well, and people are like, why would why would it. you spend that kind of money on? No, he wouldn't use it. He no, just he just put it in a glass case or something. Yeah. They said, why in the world would you spend that kind of money on on this this fishing lure? And he said, you know, if I had spent that on a Mercedes, no one would have said a word. But what's that Mercedes going to be worth in twenty years, in thirty years, in forty years? Yeah, it, it's it values are different. And and so this perfume, what well, would it have, what would it have been worth even later? Yeah. Well, you know? here's the thing. This is extravagant. It's extravagant. The, the wonderful, definitely extravagant love of Mary of Bethany, and we know that by John, he tells us that that's who this is. Um, this is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, who comes in and anoints him, and it's an extravagant love. And I got to thinking about that this morning. And I was trying not to fall asleep at my desk as I was kind of doing some study on this. And I just thought of this. I thought, you know, most of life for most of us is just a series of ordinary acts that shows our love. Just ordinary acts. But every once in a while, you get an opportunity to show love in an extravagant way. And uh, what Jesus says about this is that she is anointing him for his burial. So Mary is maybe the only one or one of the very few that got it. 
that Jesus was going to buy salvation through his death on a cross. And uh, she gets it, and no, the, none of the disciples have gotten it yet. They haven't figured this out. And so she is doing something beautiful. Uh, he won't al- I won't always be here. She's doing something right. uh, wonderful. She's anointing me for my burial. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's an extravagant thing. And, and I don't know how many extravagant acts of love that you've done in your life or you've had done to you or you've been a part of. But it's an amazing thing to be a part of and to witness if you see someone or you're a part of, so, of someone's extravagant love, someone who gives their all for someone. It's a beautiful moment. And it doesn't stay beautiful for very long. Um, then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests to arrange to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted when they heard why he had come, and they promised to give him money. So he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Wow. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? So Jesus sent them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. So the two disciples went into the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. You know, it's too bad that they have to go to such clandestine ways to eat the, the Passover meal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think just to be alone, just to be able to focus upon what this is all about and get away from these horrible priests and, you know, said all these these horrible people that are always on him and breaking into his moments, you know, that he's got planned with his people, with his followers. And uh, I would just say a couple of things about this. One is uh, for the specific things to happen that he tells them is going to happen is uh, showing the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. A man with a jar of water is an unusual thing in this culture because most of the time the women carried the water jars. The jar of water has something to do with the Feast of Tabernacles in the Old Testament. And so there is a a spiritual focus on this man with a pitcher of water. And uh, to go into this upper room that is already prepared, all they have to do is purchase the food, I suppose, and bring it in you know, to that room and they're ready to go. Uh, It's a a beautiful thing. And there are some beautiful things that happen, I think, during this Passover meal. And there's the, once again, the the contrast of the betrayal of Jesus. There's the contrast of him prophesying about the disciples denying him, Peter specifically, before the crow uh, crows twice. Mm-hmm. Um, rooster. The rooster. Yeah. Before the, yeah, you meant before the rooster I wasn't crows. cocksure about it, but oh. I knew that that's what the Bible calls the rooster. Three times. No, he crowed twice. He was three. He he crowed twice. 
and Peter denied him three times. Thank you very much. Oh, before he grows. Grow twice. Okay. You know what? You want me to read it? I'm not going to keep crowing keep, about it. Keep, keep reading. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in the evening, Jesus arrived uh, with the twelve. Okay. With the twelve. Okay, I mean, you get it in your mind that Judas has gone away to betray him, but here he is. Here he is. He's come back. As they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating with me here will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one? He replied, it is one of you twelve who is eating from this bowl with me. For the Son of Man must die as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. I'm sitting here thinking, okay, if I'm Judas, I'm having second thoughts right there with those words. You know, would you not? As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and they drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink new in the kingdom of God. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. I would encourage you guys, if, if you've not, to go back and look for our episode, Jesus in the Passover, um, because we just kind of read through this little piece and, and glossed over it. But we spend basically a whole episode just talking about this this very thing um, and what it means, you know, for Jesus to be taking this Passover feast with his disciples. Well, Jack, you got anything you want well, to throw in on um, top of this? I wonder what they're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some people say that it would would have been there was a there was a psalm, uh, and I was I was trying to look in my notes for the psalm. Uh, I have it somewhere, uh, but nevertheless, there was a psalm that was the Hallel H A L E L, which simply means praise to God. Well, yeah. And uh, Hallel U Yah means praise hallelujah. to God. Hallelujah. hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was a praise to God, and that, yeah. that, that's probably what they sang. Um, the institution of the Lord's Supper is a holy thing. It's an amazing thing. And I hope that we keep observing the Lord's Supper on a weekly basis, because I think we need it. We need to remember, and we need to uh, you know, be faithful in that. And I'm so glad uh, that, that uh, the church that we attend still is faithful in uh, providing that for us. Uh, that that's the comment. It, it's the blood of the new covenant, uh, the new covenant, the agreement between God and Jesus of the shed blood that was going to be the salvation for the souls of of many. And so I think it's a really really beautiful thing. Uh, this Passover meal, even in spite of Judas and Peter and the rest that are going to be weak, 
But we see this beautiful, um, not beautiful, but I think practical thing that he says, and you'll read it in just a moment, uh, to Peter, the spirit is willing, but yeah, the, the flesh, flesh is, is weak. weak. So. Yeah. None of these things are by accident. Right. None of these things happen by accident. The timing for this is so critical because who is the Paschal Lamb? Who's the Passover Lamb? They're getting ready for the, to celebrate the Passover, which is God providing deliverance for his people. Jesus is that sacrificial lamb. And he, when he's taking the cup, he, all of the symbolic things that he's doing that are representative of what's happening through that Passover meal, they're all about himself. Mm -hmm. You know, it's... it's, it's these guys have been doing this tradition for centuries. The disciples grew up with this in their families. Every year they're doing this. And they're thinking about the Passover lamb and, and Moses mm -hmm. in the Red Sea and all that. And here Jesus is saying, guys, it's me. That's some powerful, heady stuff. And yeah, you're right. I'd so love to know what yeah. what's, what psalm, what hymn they were singing. Um, and on the way, Jesus told them, all of you will desert me. You know, we're having a meal, and he's like, one of you will betray me. <laughs> all, of you all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised from the dead... I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. <laughs> Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, before the, the cock crows, before the rooster crows, twice, you were right, Jack, we're so dumb. I'm like... <sighs> Before the rooster crows twice, it, you will deny me three times that you even know me. See, in my brain, how did I? That, I got the rooster crowing yeah. three times. Well, later on, anyway. it's described. It's literally described. <laughs> he, he denies him twice. Then the Bible says, and the rooster crowed. No, Peter declared. <laughs> no, Peter declared emphatically. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. Wow. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane. Um, we were in Israel, and I asked our tour guide, I said, what, what does the word Gethsemane mean? And he says, it's not a word, it's made up. I said, well, well I mean, where, where did it come from? He says, well, they, they transliterated and gave it a place name, but it's Gatshmanim, which I said that wrong, I butchered it, but, but it basically means the olive press, the garden of the olive press. Right. You know, so we give it this name that makes it sound a little fancier and mystical. Um, but yes, yeah, as they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, but literally that word just means the olive press, because that's where the olive press was. Well, you think of an olive press, and you think about what that's doing. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, crushing, it's crushing the olive. Right. Jesus is the olive. Right. I mean, it's exactly. another another symbolism. And Jesus said... Well, even back, yeah. even ba even back to um, uh, Mary Bethany anointing Jesus. Oh, yeah. Uh, who is the flask? What is what? What does the nard represent? What does the pouring out 
of the nard on Jesus represent to the disciples. Jesus is the flask. His blood is poured out on them, and they are purified in the pouring out. So you can yeah. see these symbols. Lots all of, of symbols. These stories. Yeah. Sit here while I go pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed, just like the olive, olive press, with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Um, in our episode on the Passover, we talk about that cup of suffering. Um, that's always been kind of a mystery to me. Um, but with the Passover celebration, they have four cups. And uh, if I'm remembering this right, they, d they don't drink of the last one. Because that last one, um, that's Jesus' cup. That's, that's the cup of the suffering. Messiah. The, Messiah the Messiah drinks that cup. And so he's, he's literally... At that moment, you know, he's still in that Passover mode um, when he's praying this. Let that cup pass from me. Um, then he returned and found his disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayer as before. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open, and they didn't know what to say. When he returned to them the third time, he said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But no, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Well, you know, I would make a comment, and I kind of feel pretty strongly about this. I think that when you get to verse 32, where it says they went to a place called Gethsemane, mm -hmm. and you start talking about this wine, this uh, olive press, and you start talking about the betrayal, and you start talking about the denial, and you talk about this, you sense here a separation between the Father and the Son as well. And I think that 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 separation is the cross, that uh, Jesus dies on the cross, and there's a sense uh, where he's praying, but he doesn't seem to be getting, you know, that quick answer from God. He doesn't have that, that close fellowship with God here, and he's got his best men, his best friends. He's asked them to watch and pray with him. They're falling asleep. He doesn't have his best friends with him. And Jesus is on preparation to die alone uh, for us, to, to, to become sin for all of us. And it's a separation where he suffers that alone. And I can't think of anything sadder uh, than to, to, to face that and for Jesus to face that uh, alone by himself. He was a, a, a savior of fellowship. He was a savior of compassion. He was a savior of love. 
and he loves all and uh, everyone, everyone turned away, turned their back. And uh, you just kind of sense that feeling as you go through this and then this betrayal and, and Judas kissing him and um, them taking him and then going through the things that he did. It's just such a hard thing uh, to go through. It's such a hard thing to read through to me. It's a hard thing to, to talk through, to think about mm-hmm. uh, what Jesus is suffering, what he's going through. What is happening to him right here in Scripture? And it begins, I think, when they walk out of that Passover room and head toward Gethsemane where the press begins. It's rough. So, and, and by the way, um, the, the, the hymn and the smite the shepherd uh, that that kind of takes us back to the 23rd Psalm as well. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And uh, for that fulfilling of the shepherd, mm-hmm. uh, for the shepherd to be uh, smitten and for the shepherd to be slain uh, is once again a very hard thing to, to go through because the shepherd is the, the head shepherd, the master, the the leader, the the one that is my shepherd, helping me, uh, providing for me, uh, supplying my every need. And now what he's doing is he's supplying the ultimate need of salvation as he allows himself, the shepherd, to be smitten on the cross of God. I don't want to leave you guys on a somber (laughs) note here, okay? Um, you know, we read later, Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the suffering of the cross. Um, it's not by accident that he's here in the art garden of the olive press, because all you have to do right here is lift your head and look up the hill, and right there in front of you is the eastern gate. That's the same gate that Jesus entered on the triumphal entry, okay? It's the same gate that he's going to enter when he returns as the king. Um, He knows what the joy set before him is, and that's you and me and this kingdom that he's building of people, people that he loves, that he's willing to drink that cup of suffering for so that we could be redeemed to him and be his own, to be with him. That is the beautiful part of this story. And the fulfillment of doing the Father's will and uh, being taken back to his rightful place at the right hand of God the Father. I think that's a part of it as well. I I imagine him seeing all these things, even in those grief-stricken moments when he's praying this desperate prayer. Um, And don't be fooled. God's will and Jesus' will are the same. Mm -hmm. You know, when he's praying, not my will, but yours be done, um, he's he's not saying my will is different than your will. Mm -hmm. They're one in spirit. Um, no, I think he's praying that for us so that we could know this is, this is what he has set himself to do 
You know, there's sometimes in, in your heart of hearts, you don't really want to do something, but that doesn't mean that it's not your will. You're still going to You're do it because you know it's something you need to do. You have to do. Um, and that's what Jesus is doing here. You know, did he want to do it? No. Why did he do it? Because of the joy that was set before him. And the blood started flowing here in the garden. Yeah. It started yeah. in that prayer because he sweat as drops of blood. Yeah. Sure. All right. Well, join us again next time, guys. We're, we're going to still be plugging along here in, uh, in Mark chapter 14. We'll be on verse 43. And uh, we look forward to spending some time with you again. Thanks for joining us.